Are we okay forcing people to do things they don't want to do? It's the founding ideas that make our country great. Caesar was garbage, and so are today's bureaucrats. You're listening to Self-Evident and Forgotten. Here are your hosts, Stanton, Christie, and Cody. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Self-Evident and Forgotten. Uh, in our last episode of In the News for September, uh, we mentioned a story on the United States Olympic gymnastics team uh, testifying before Congress on the really gross mishandling of the Federal Bureau of Investigation on Larry Nasser, the former doctor for the women's gymnast team, who for years sexually abused the athletes. We're going to talk a bit more about that story and really we're going to hone in on the FBI specifically. That's what we're going to be talking about today, the uh, the FBI deep dive. Um, as normal, we've got the esteemed chairwoman of Colorado, Miss Christy Burton-Brown. We've got the lawyer with a desk full of ammo, Cody Wisniewski, and yours truly, the teacher fomenting rebellion, Stanton Skirjanic. Hi, you two. Hey. I like that. That was good. I'm glad. I'm, glad. <laughs> I'm trying something new. I'm trying something new. Um, before we dig into our favorite federal enforcement agency, Kristen uh, Cody, Halloween approaches us soon. What is the best costume you've ever had? <laughs> oh. Okay. I remember when I was eight, I think, I lived in Alaska in Anchorage. And, um, I had really long hair, like probably all the way down to my elbows or waist, but I wanted to be a bunny. So my mom found this paint, which I know now it's super common to dye your hair if you're a little kid and whatever back then it was most certainly not. So she found this like spray paint, uh, spray paint can of like black hair and sprayed all my hair and then folded it up into like these floppy bunny ears and painted my face. And oh my goodness, really cool. I was happy. That's so fun. (laughs) That is so brilliant. I learned so many things in that, that very quick story that I did not know before. (laughs) Got your costume, Cody. Bunny. Oh man. Mine was definitely, I like, I had like a stereotypical or gladiator costume. Uh, when I was We're, a kid, we could not expect anything other than that. But I had like this really cool, like two handed, like long hafted axe. Oh, geez. Ooh. And I like saved up from chores to buy the axe myself. So my parents bought this like super cheap knockoffy costume. And I had this like wicked prop axe. Wow. Uh, and I just like wouldn't put the thing down <laughs> and carried it long before and long after Halloween. Oh, man. And that every year would like refine it and then just try and like beat my brothers up with it. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> my brothers used to make weapons like that for themselves. So. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. No. Yeah. The, the makeshift weapons are the ones to look out for. <laughs> I think. <laughs> True. So in college, I was, I was really, really loved um, uh, Halloween because at, my alma mater. You said I was really, really loved. Just like oh, in college, oh, I was. Very I was loved. loved. I mean, I hope <laughs> I was loved by someone. But no, I always loved Halloween because at my school we had what's called beard season. It runs from November first through February thirteenth. There are like six categories of growing facial hair. 
Um, but the rule is that everyone has to shave on like the night of the 31st or the morning of November 1st. Everyone starts with a clean face. And that was really my only time I ever shaved during college was for beard season. And so Halloween was my opportunity to either be like a bearded Moses or to do a clean shave. And so I think it was my, it was my junior year. Uh, I'd really just gotten into breaking bad and I, I went for Walter White as Heisenberg, right? The Heisenberg version of him. So I ordered the hat. I got blue rock candy in a bag. Um, I had, I, I shaved my beard down to a goatee and here's where I committed. I shaved my head. Now here's why that's a problem. And a good thing. The good thing is that I had some really kicking photos. I mean, I went full out. I had the jacket. I even had a gold Murano that looked like the car he drives in the show. Like I, I sold that to the letter, but the next day is beard season. So I had to shave my face. So I looked like just this nasty cue ball. Problem is uh, I was working for, um, <laughs> I was working for the Sam Brownback campaign for governor of Kansas at that time. <laughs> he won the election. Then we had the celebration ball and you basically just have like this, like who's that guy? Are we sure he belongs to the campaign? Who, who is this person? I, like no one recognized me because I had nothing. I had to wear a hat just to, like not feel totally embarrassed. But I tell you what, my wife, she saw pictures of that and says, you will never, ever shave both and prefer to never <laughs> shave the beard again. And I haven't seen my face since October of 2013. So wow. there's my Halloween story. Oh, this we can just amazing. end here. Uh, this is a good week, guys. We'll see you, <laughs> see you next time. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, but pretty classic. Pretty classic. So I'm always convinced that by how well my no, I've got red hair. I've got a red beard. If I ever needed to evade the law, all I need is just do a shave again and I'll be fine. And no one will be able to ever find me, including those pesky feds. Come on, come on, Cody. I'm not, feeding you here. I'm feeding you. It wasn't the best. Ah. It was. A, that felt a little forced on that one. Of course it was forced. All of our transitions have been forced. How dare you speak about the art form of my softball transition as a forced I'm, endeavor? I was waiting for a transition softball. Would you like to try one? I'll try and hit for home runs. Uh, no, now we're out of it. Like, now we're just it's, out of it. Yeah, no, it's over. I'm so sad. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably have to bribe somebody if I wanted to give such a soft softball for you to, to swing out of the park. And I don't know who would be good at bribery. Bribery. Oh, man. So many good things about bribery. <laughs> Christy just rolled her eyes. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. She, she's like, I'm good. I, I can't. I can't stick with this podcast anymore. My career's like, no, can't stay here. OK, so yeah, let's just get... come for the jokes. Here are you guys' jokes. They're, yeah. they're good. And I laugh Our on the really inside. horrid, like pre-dad <laughs> jokes. Okay, so back to the FBI and this mishandling of the gymnastics case. Uh, The reason the gymnasts were testifying before Congress was that the FBI not only ignored their pleas to investigate for over a year, but they made false statements that jeopardized the entire case. Uh, The agent that was responsible for overseeing this was fired. The supervisor resigned. Congress is furious, okay? Uh, 
one of the problems that came out of this, and by the way, this all happened in like 2015. That's when this, this kind of case kind of evolved. And it's been, it's been a long, long ordeal. Uh, the director of the FBI, uh, Chris Ray, he testified after the gymnasts uh, saying that this was the work of individuals who had been violating protocol and that their actions or inaction does not represent the approach, the principle, the values of the FBI overall, which to me is really what the question is all about. What is the purpose of the FBI overall? Uh, is its mission, is its purpose aligned well with the, 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 the founding principles of our country? Should we keep the FBI? Should we significantly reform it? So that to me, as I think what, what our deep dive on the FBI should be about. So I don't know. Do you guys have any initial thoughts before I kind of dive into the, uh, before I get into the history of the FBI so that we have our, some context here? I think you're on the right track. I think deep diving into the history will give us all the context we need to go down the right roads in a little bit. So to be real clear, the FBI, simply put, is the national government, so Congress really, uh, it's their domestic intelligence and security service that acts as the Congress's chief law enforcement agency, um, where you might have the DEA for drugs or ICE for immigration uh, or even the Secret Service for money crimes. The FBI kind of takes care of everything else. If there is a federal crime, the FBI is responsible for investigating it. Um, and by the way, when I mean domestic intelligence and security service, I'm saying that in contrast to something like the CIA, which operates abroad. If you are, I don't know if any of our listeners out there are British, but if you are British out there, our, our FBI is similar to your MI5 and our CIA is similar to your MI6. That's a fun fact. Um, but the FBI has more or less nine kind of domains that it investigates. Terrorism, counterintelligence, so trying to combat against foreign national spies, cybercrime, public corruption, uh, civil rights. I didn't know that one. Organized crime, so your mafia, your mafia type, white collar crime. Uh, so we're thinking big time money, uh, violent crime of overall, and weapons of mass destruction. I didn't know that one either. So the, the FBI was, was really born out of the progressive era. We, we usually attribute it to about 1908 and uh, Theodore Roosevelt. And there was this desire to combat violent anarchists, enforce congressional regulation that was increasing on interstate trade, um, and started to connect local law enforcement agencies to really combat violent crime, commercial monopolies, and by prohibition, bootlegging. Uh, today, it has about 35,000 employees, has a nice whopping budget of $10 billion almost, um, and is considered for many in law enforcement uh, the apex of your career if you go down that line. Uh, the history of the FBI up to this point has been complicated, to say the least. It started as an ad hoc group to deal with the Justice Department's priorities. Um, and it developed under J. Edgar Hoover's half-century leadership uh, to become a professional evidence-based agency, taking on everything from communism and the mafia to Wall Street inside traders and civil rights violators. Um, under Hoover, 
It's super aggressive. Uh, they're pushing the limits of federal and aid, uh, law enforcement. And ironically, they would even atta- uh, uh, kind of attack civil liberties uh, in trying to well, basically spy on people to get evidence. Uh, after Hoover, it attempted to moderate itself, trying to become something that was just independent, doing whatever Congress wanted it to do. But with all that history, that's kind of like meh it leads us to some really serious concerns. First, does Congress even have the power to define crimes? Does it have the power to punish and enforce those crimes? I'm getting yeses from Christy and noes from Cody. So this is good. This is a good start. Christy, yes, Congress can uh, define crimes. Yes. Um, everyone listening, of course, knows they always get some level of disagreement between me and Cody. And he's just like, you know, sitting there giving me the look, but we'll go with it. So I think, yes, Congress has the power to define crimes, not as broad of a power as states do. Um, I am supportive of more. And now even Stanton's giving me the look. So this is this is going very well off to a good start. However, <laughs> uh, local levels of government are always the best, in my opinion, or should be. Local governments are closer to the people, and therefore people should be able to know what to expect, chiefly from their local governments. But I believe there are times when local and or state governments do not act at all in the interest of safety or protecting the lives of people, or there are crimes that not one state could have authority over. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of this bridge between states' rights. You control what happens in your borders. You define what a crime is in your state. If another state disagrees, there's very little disagreement between states, but it can exist. But interstate commerce, that's a phrase that's often thrown around that deals with business, but there also can be interstate crimes, like when kidnapping crosses lines, when crimes are done online, which state really rules the internet? Um, does it matter, like if you're in human trafficking, where you bought someone, where they lived or where you lived when you committed it, who has jurisdiction? So I think having the having Congress have the ability to find some crimes both can protect people in instances where states refuse to do so, but then in very serious matters. And then secondly, it just provides that jurisdiction that otherwise is unavailable. So it's not absolute. I, I, I disagree with Christy, shockingly, uh, but there are crimes that Congress can define. So Congress can uh, provide for the punishment of piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations. So that's an international conflict. So Here you are reading from the constitution itself. So, so, I, so, I this is, so, so, hold on. so, so for people like me who just got their constitution out and for our viewers back home, oh, uh, from article, which, from which uh, provisions are you reading this from? So, so that was article one, section eight, clause 10. Oh, uh, section just, eight. Just to, well, so section eight, I mean, section eight defines the powers of Congress, right? It's the enumeration. And, Yeah. And then so just above that uh, in clause six, they can also provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin of the United States. Um, I think there's one more in here that they're allowed to uh, provide for the punishment of the militia if called force called forth. So there are certain crimes that that Congress has the power to establish. 
Uh, and the others, those are there. Th- when when our nation was founded, there was no such thing as a federal police power. The idea that there would be a federal police power was beyond the pale. And when you mean police power, do you mean just like having police or is it something broader? No. So uh, the a police power, like the states have a police power. And the, that idea is their ability to regulate and enforce the laws within their own jurisdiction. And so we commonly think of it as the police, and that's the primary arm of it, but it is just kind of general. It's like, uh, cr- it's like regulating your wealth, your health, and your morals. Well, kind of. I mean, they have moral, proper- moral, morals, meaning we're going <laughs> a little to, too far. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, sorry, I don't mean to like say we should have that. I'm saying like police powers includes the ability to regulate certain behaviors, such as like marriage or family law. Well, so potentially now. In our modern construction, in our modern view of police power, yeah, it extends to just about everything. And that's courts have since expanded police powers incredibly since, especially since the New Deal era. But prior to that, it was much more directly charged to like community regulation and community safety. Things like regulating marriage were left up to individuals' religions. Things like regulating morals were left up to individual communities in a lot of senses. Although there were some morality laws, right? I mean, there was some stuff dealing with even early stuff dealing with like alcohol consumption in certain communities on certain days. And so those exist. But the the point is that Congress, if Congress isn't given the power to regulate crimes, then it doesn't have the power to create federal crime. We, we didn't have a federal criminal code when we were founded for a a significant period of time. Well, I think I would, I'd say is, and, and I'm, I like to repeat that I'm very much an originalist and think like the principles of the Constitution applied then and they apply now today. However, clearly the powers it gave to Congress to define certain federal crimes like counterfeiting and piracy and all these things, uh, specifically piracy happens a lot less today in American waters than it did back then. So if there was an Internet that existed back then and human trafficking over the Internet existed back then would that have been an exception they would have given because it was piracy was clearly outside the jurisdiction of specific states because often crossed lines and were national waters and things like that so can you in principle say that there are certain types of crimes that would match the intent that the founding fathers were attempting to get to yeah so so you could for sure try and draw those analogs i agree with that so I'm always trying to draw something, you know this. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, and we talked about this when we talked about uh, some of our our armed forces conversations, right? So I think that you could probably take the provision of Navy and expand that to kind of what a modern Navy would look like. Um, And I think that there are certain things when you're looking at like securities fraud, like counterfeiting of the securities, right? Today, some of that would be internet crime because some of that would be like, SEC level security frauds. Now, when you get into piracy, I I don't, I'm not sure. We would have to do a little bit of a deeper dive to figure out how mm. I felt about that expanding because <laughs> it's specifically referring to piracy and felonies on the high seas. And so that right. was specifically related to like dealing with like safe trade channels and whatnot. And so mm-hmm. I don't know that that analog would be direct 
to like internet providers or things right. like that. But but I you, trading I, over the internet. I mean, like maybe a, it might exist. A good argument with some good quotes to the founders, and I could easily be convinced. That's the beauty Ooh, of originalism. Okay. <laughs> I'll put it on my to do list. <laughs> so it's firmly at the bottom, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, it'll always make its way down there somehow. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> So Cody, when I got two questions, when we're looking at this, you know, for anyone who wants to crack open their constitution, there's this, there's this uh, clause that says to define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas. So that was your point, Cody, on high seas and then end offenses against the law of nations. Is that international law? Yeah. Huh? So we, 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 Okay. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to leave sleeping dogs lie because that's a whole can of worms I don't want to open. But I do want to bring in my second question. That was more of just like a clarification one. My bigger question is this. All of these powers that our Constitution lists in Article 1, Section 8, these are powers given to Congress. Now, you and I can agree whether or not they should be or if they should be limited, blah, 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 blah. Let's talk legal. We are looking at, say... The Congress will have the power to lay and collect taxes, right? Clear cut. Are you saying that Congress cannot punish tax evasion then? Since it does not say Congress cannot define and punish tax evasion. So this is where you get into the interesting question of the necessary and proper clause. Sure, because uh, that's essentially what what that would what that would boil into under this original understanding. So, right. for the listeners that don't know, at the very end of Section Eight, one of the reasons why the framers gave us the Constitution we have is that the prior governing document we had, the Articles of Confederation, had a couple of issues. Uh, one of those, ironically, was unfettered democracy. They didn't thoroughly enjoy that. Um, but the other side was that there wasn't a clause that allowed for kind of this implicit power, or this Im- this implied uh, power that could be necessary for the operation of Congress. And so if you look at the very beginning of, of Article 1, it says all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States. And so that lays out the enumerated power section or the enumerated powers of Congress. But then once you get to Section 8, at the very end, uh, there is a fancy clause, Clause 18, that says, to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. And so Stanton... If I am framing your question appropriately, it would be, is it necessary and proper for Congress to create a criminal law in order for them to enforce their taxation power? So the, uh, so if any of my gov kids or former gov kids are listening, you'll recognize this as the elastic clause that we talked about in class. And oh, you still a- call it the elastic clause? From time to time. I love it. There is a critical debate that started with Jefferson and Hamilton and continues to today. The words necessary and proper are not in and of themselves defined. Now, you can go back to uh, legal law books, the, the canons of grammar back then. You can come to some general conclusion of original definition. However, 
people like Hamilton will say necessary and proper means easy and convenient, where Jefferson might say, no, if it's not absolutely essential and it's not appropriate to the circumstance, it ain't going to happen. So over the last 230 years of our Constitution, the courts have more or less let go of the tightness definition of the elastic clause and have said, yeah, Hamilton was right. Whatever Congress says is necessary and proper for executing its power, they can do it. So long as they're actually doing something necessary and proper to a defined, listed, enumerated power in Section 8, which, Cody, includes taxes, money, commerce, immigration. We've got counterfeiting. We've got post offices. We've got copyright. We've got uh, piracy. We've got we got everything. Almost everything that touches on society is listed in Article 8 to some limited extent. Yeah. Well, so actually you don't have immigration. You have naturalization because that's uh, a, sorry. It's its own debate. That's its own debate. Let <laughs> sleeping dogs lie. There's so much that we can pull from on that. So here's the thing. The federal constitution, the federal government, even in its early years when it was created, they didn't have an enforcement body outside of the executive, right? And so there, there's no federal criminal agency. There's no like, at, then there's no provision in the constitution that allows for them to go. That's you, not hopefully true. Uh, please. The Judiciary Act of 1789 established the marshals to execute court orders. That is correct. So, so that's not hopefully true, but the Constitution itself does not give, I'll grant you, the Constitution itself doesn't give out a federal agency, but Congress did have an enforcement mechanism for the courts in the executive department, the United States Marshals. Yes, but, well, a pseudo-independent enforcement body, right? They, would, they answer directly to the courts. Yes, but the courts <laughs> don't get the marshals. They're, they, it's a weird, it's a weird thing in which it's like the, they, they it's one of those semi-independent. They belong to the president for the purpose of the courts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was an attempt. I mean, way back then, we tried to really make three branches of government that right, could right. have checks and balances and hold each other accountable. And some offices or individuals were shared, appointed by one, but used by the other. And I think this is a good illustration of that uh, being the intent, regardless of how it may be used or misused today. Correct. So Cody, I don't mean to like be a nitpicker, but I will say Congress did intend to have a federal agency to carry out national edicts. Granted, edicts from the courts, but the courts are arbitrating over things happening at the national legal level anyway. Well, kind of. So in our early history, right, the federal courts weren't used like they are today. Like we need to remember that today we're enforcing all of these newly created federal laws, including the federal jurisdictional statute that came out of the Civil Rights Act, which gives federal courts jurisdiction over all of these state officers and all of these state issues. Right. That wasn't the case when we were founded. And so, yes, there was an enforcement mechanism behind the courts, but 
there wasn't that like existence of federal criminal law for them to enforce. Right. The marshals are not are not investigative individuals. They're law. They, they literally, they're literally the definition of law enforcement. They take something that is known and they just enforce it. The, a court orders for a subpoena, an arrest warrant. Uh, uh, they don't investigate crime. They're not preventative. They're retroactive. Correct. Um, and so I just, it was very important to the founders and framers that the federal government wouldn't have this broad, far-reaching power over the states. And there, there is no provision that even suggests that there would be some form of interior criminal code that is housed by the federal government. And so unless I am utterly missing something in the historic record, I just don't see how we could stretch necessary and proper to encompass this creation of federal criminal law. Now, the federal government could rely on the states to enforce some of that stuff, could, um, I mean, I, I suppose that they could pass certain laws to prohibit or to allow for, I mean, garnishment, financial penalties, those sorts of things, but um, so I'm going to come back to the example I use because I, I, I'm, I'm starting from a constitutional perspective. I'm really kind of thinking along the lines of Christie here. Can Congress not enforce tax law since there is no tax, uh, since, since there's no power that grants Congress the ability to punish tax evasion? Because tax evasion would have to be a thing, right? Whether Whether you have a, a, a federal enforcement agency or not. Tax evasion is a thing no matter what. So does Congress right. not get to define tax evasion and they cannot, can they not punish tax evasion? I mean, I think they have to be able to, uh, as much as I'd love to say no. <laughs> right. I'd love it if they no. couldn't, right? But, but, but the Alaska yeah, Clause seems just, to suggest otherwise. Right. I mean, I, I just think without the power of enforcement of tax laws, I mean, you're going to go revert to the same problem roughly from the Articles of Confederation, like why that didn't work is because they could say all they wanted, oh, you need to pay taxes. But if the states didn't want to, there was no power for the federal government to make the states actually do it. I mean, you'd make the same argument with citizens if they knew that no matter what the government said, you actually don't have to pay. If corporations knew that, I mean, you're going to see way more evasion than already exists from people who don't care about the laws and think they can get around them anyway. So there's absolutely zero point to having a tax law or a code on tax evasion if you can't enforce it. I mean, I have a little bit, I guess I am on the necessary and proper clause. Like I would say that that gives the federal government the right to create some criminal tax code. I think it's gotten way too elastic for sure. And convenience should not be a good definition for it. But, you know, maybe this is why Patrick Henry should have been involved in the writing of the constitution because maybe (laughs) necessary and proper would have actually gotten defined. Amen. That was one of Mason's particular projects in trying to force the Bill of Rights is he necessary and proper were two of the terms that he was fighting for definitions for. Mm, Madison Madison did the same with the construction bill. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So you, Cody, you, you did say that the only enforcement action of Congress is the president. So if, if Congress can't create an FBI or hell, let's forget that. If they can't create a tax man legal criminal code system and they're expecting the president to enforce their tax collection 
what does the president order the army to come knocking on your door when you don't pay your taxes like how how is this supposed to work if we don't have a criminal code was that a setup for me for the whiskey rebellion or like it might have been i was like because we literally (laughs) did that right like that was day one like congress passed a tax on whiskey the guys didn't want to pay it they thought it was screwed up on whiskey that they're making themselves and washington literally called the army and brought it to bear against them so So i'd rather have that or the fbi i mean i'd rather have washington had being forced to call up the militia than having a standing body of how many people did you say Thirty thirty five thousand. How many employees did you say the FBI had? Thirty five thousand employees. Yeah. So I'll I'll take Washington being forced to call up the militia over thirty five standing thirty five thousand standing employees with a billion dollar budget any day of the week. So I I do I do want to question though that I know we're being facetious here, but in all seriousness, if the elastic clause does not give Congress the ability to create a criminal code for a power it already has like taxation, how does Congress enforce its powers? Yeah, I mean, you could have a, I mean, that's a really good question, Stanton. That is a really good point. I, and I guess you could have a, you know, civil penalty uh, in place of, you could have, you know, states that are requested in order to enforce the law. Um, Now you're just back to articles requesting states to do something. That's what somewhat, which is what the articles of confederation were all about, which you and I, I know we both really enjoy, but the constitution is deliberately designed to counter that. So that doesn't seem to fit within the paradigm of the constitution. Yeah. But they also didn't provide for any criminal body. There's no criminal enforcement body, right? I mean, you don't get, so the first, pseudo thing that we would even think of um, would be the creation of the attorney general right in 1789 so like right around the um, we're with the the creation of the uh, constitution he was one of the first four uh, cabinet members of the executive department but you don't get a department of justice until 1870 sure and so There was no provision for them to have any sort of real enforcement body except for Washington, which is the example we have where they Congress created a tax. People weren't paying the tax and the executive enforced it. Hmm. So I feel like this is a, a, a quagmire of interpreting the necessary and proper clause because it doesn't seem to be an interpretation of. The text itself, it's clear. The text in and of itself does not provide Congress the power to punish anything besides, you know, uh, uh, piracies and felonies on the high seas, right? We know that specifically. It's really then a question of the necessary and proper clause. And to me, this is a, 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 an impossible discussion. There's no way that you can have a textual legal discussion on the necessary and proper clause because there's no text to interpret. It's, it's undefined via the text. This is a matter of this guy said that, original tense said here, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, am I missing that? Chrissy, am I, did, I, did I overstate that? Yeah, no. I mean, I think you're really right. You'd ha- you have to look at, I mean, now there's a ton of court precedent on it, but yeah, where were they getting it from? They were getting it from whosoever view they preferred among the founders, none of whom were exact official interpretations 
and this is why those words, any word in law and statute, and I've been involved in policy making, you know, for a long time, the more you define, the more specific result you're going to get in the law or when a court interprets it, whatever you leave to chance, um, <laughs> you know, whoever is elected or appointed to interpret it, they're going to, and you might, you basically, your law might take a little jump off the waterfall and end up doing something you never intended it to do without definition. So Cody, while I would hate to say that the FBI is illegal, I really have no way of saying that it is Le from a constitutional perspective. I know that you can, you, you and you, Chris and I could we probably argue our faces blue on whether or not the necessary and proper clause allows for the creation of an FBI. That said, the fact that there is ambiguity in the elastic clause, in necessary and proper, I think provides enough legal footing that Congress could say the FBI is 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 a legal institution. My it, it was that a fair estimation, or or do you want to do you want to? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to give yourself outs every fourth word. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what you, what you stated is literally an unfalsifiable premise. <laughs> I've never claimed to be an empiricist in the least. So look, I mean, here's the thing. We know that there were certain crimes that were presumably that could be conducted against the United States. So if you want to call a proto-criminal code in that sense, let's start there, because that's probably a fair starting point, right? Treason. Treason is a defined, well, not defined, but an understood, clearly referenced uh, crime or offense against the United States. So maybe I'm I'm being somewhat unfair in saying that there could be no federal criminal code um, and that there were no federal crimes because there are things that were offenses against. And I think they're referred to as like offenses against the country or against the nation or against yeah, the they're, 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 they They distinguish between high crimes and offenses. There are two different types of crimes that can be done against yeah. the United States. And they define or they enumerate some of them, right? So treason is one of them. Bribery is another. Mm -hmm. And so yes, okay, you can probably have uh, a certain level of federal criminal code. But I think the key here is that those are crimes against the United States. When we think of a criminal code today, that's not what we're thinking of, right? We're thinking of Jeff did something to George and then did it when he crossed state lines. And therefore, we presume that this is a crime against the United States. That's why criminal cases are USV, whoever. Right. But that's not the case. And so I'm, I'm being unfairly obtuse when I say you can't have a criminal code. What the U.S. federal criminal code could be. And if it were to exist, should be, would be solely a list of crimes or offenses against the United States. And so you could have tax crimes in that that type of federal criminal code. I just that those words criminal code elicits this sort of response that people think of, of like, oh, he bought a gun that he wasn't allowed to have. Therefore he violated federal criminal law. It's like, no, no, right. no, 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 no. So, so, so it, perhaps an FBI could exist, but it's reach and what it's allowed to enforce would have to be significantly restricted. Not because the FBI would be restricted, but because Congress 
outlying laws would be restricted. Exactly. And okay. really, the FBI would have to kind of live solely under the executive, in a sense, and it not, I mean, this kind of two join system, because Congress has given the agencies, the Department of Justice, in this sense, uh, the ability to like, define and interpret law, which is, which is problematic, right? It should have, if it was going to create a agency to enforce federal criminal law, it should be a clean cut. So actually, this is, this is the moment, my next question. So the first question was, does Congress have the power to define crimes? I think we've, to an extent, said yes. Sometimes lesser, sometimes more. The next question I had was, through what mechanism may Congress do this? Right? This is, this is the question of whether or not we should have the kind of modern FBI or something else. And Cody, you, you, you want something clearly belonging to the president, not to the attorney general of the Department of Justice. Pass laws. Fun fact, Congress can define these things <laughs> by, by passing laws. It's, it's almost like they were designed to, to do this thing where they would like get together. Chris, you're, like, you're our Politico. Arguing. Is, that, is that real? Does Congress actually pass laws? I mean, I, I'm no yeah. expert. You're the expert. Does Congress actually pass laws? Well, so you could either say way too rarely or you could say way too often. <laughs> they pass yeah, way too way few too laws that are way laws too on big. the things we need <laughs> and way too often pass laws on the things we don't need. So, I mean, no, I agree with Cody, though. I think whenever you have a um, and yes, that Cody should definitely like write that statement down. I agree with Cody um, because I don't all <laughs> I don't that often. But um, but no, for real, I think any federal agency that believes it is so independent unto itself that it can define all of these things. And we're going back to definitions again, when there aren't enough definitions of power of who defines how this law is broken. And I mean, I think this matters whether we think Congress can make a broad set of federal laws. Like I think they can make a broader set than Cody does, for example, or whether you think the set is very narrow, the power of the FBI has become so insular and so self-defined that yes, Congress should step in and define a few more things. They are the representatives of the people and should step in and do that. I, I mean, yeah, the problem is right now, uh, Congress is more interested in the business of being Congress than it is in the business of, of passing and or repealing law. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, they have the power to pass laws. So if they wanted to pass a law that was a necessary implementation of their taxing authority, which might include a punishment thereof as an offense against the United States, they can pass that law. That law can be evaluated in the courts and that law can be enforced by the judiciary. You basically... or, oh, the judiciary enforced by the executive branch. I mean, right, right. it's it's. It's just somewhat straightforward. You basically want is, all of the regulations of the bureaucracy, including the regulations regarding law enforcement, not to be defined by rulemakers in the executive bureaucracy, but outlined by 535 members of the House and Senate. So, so yes, I want that. And everybody should be very attuned to what Cody wants in any particular instance, <laughs> but more potentially more importantly, the constitution wants that. And so what we have now is we have 
Congress passing laws that basically gives this broad deference to the executive agencies to interpret the law. And then the courts defer to the agencies in their interpretation of the law because they're allegedly the experts in the field. And so Congress has created a system where the executive branch can now, through the agencies, can now write the law, doesn't actually get full judicial review because they have deference, and then they also enforce the law. And so, yeah, that's that's a problem. Congress needs to strictly define these laws, give the, if the FBI is going to exist and enforce crimes against the United States, then Congress needs to define what those crimes are and lets the FBI go. And it's the, the, their job simply to enforce, not to, to draft broad lawmaking provisions. Right. And to not be to fair, mix all those powers up. Right. I mean, it becomes very, as anyone listening knows, it becomes very dangerous to the citizens when you mix all of those powers within one branch or agency that was never designed, um, never created originally to have that much power. And it's easy to sneak it through. And they're like, oh, we don't have to run this. Like we've actually seen this in Colorado and I work in politics in Colorado. Um, There's something on the ballot this year that's supposed to eliminate some of the ability of the executive branch here in Colorado to run federal slush money just through the executives. And it doesn't go through the legislature at all, which means it never sees the light of day for citizens to see, to testify on, to object to, to write their legislators about. So this is what happens in any area um, when an agency gets to do all the rulemaking, usually the public is shut out and it's snuck through and it's things that wouldn't be approved by the public that people who are held accountable by the voters couldn't vote for, but they can sneak it through in an agency. So, I mean, to be fair, I, I don't know a lot about the FBI's internal operations. I don't know how many people actually do. Huh? I said by design. You're not yeah, supposed by, to. Yeah, by design. But I would imagine that they're not actually writing the rules of it. They're no, they're enforcing other agencies' rules. Like you know, you take the uh, Security and Exchange Commission, the SEC, when they uh, when they define what you can and cannot do with the um, with the securities and the, uh, and the and the stocks that you own, when they define what you can and cannot do, they're not the ones enforcing that. They're the ones that identify who's broken the law. But then the FBI is the one that swoops in and takes care of the law itself. So it's it's even a double layer of who's enforcing what and who's writing what laws and regulations. So, okay, I think we <laughs> there seems to be this, this consensus that the way in which the FBI operates is not the way we want the federal law enforcement to be done. We both we we we're we're, say, we're saying that Congress can have a criminal code and they can pass legislation to enforce that code. Cody, you are more along the lines that you want those laws to be very clearly written out by Congress and that this originalist FBI is simply just enforcing it through their their their, their police power. Is that no, they don't have a police power, so you can't have a general police power for, for the federal government. What they do have is the president has the take care clause. And so the president has to take care that all laws of the United States are properly enforced and, and whatnot. But they can and, go and arrest uh, code breakers. They can go and find code breakers that that, that you that's what I'm getting at. They can be police like. 
if somebody commits a crime against the United States, then yes. As outlined by Congress. Now, Christy, you're a bit more broad, right? Right. I Congress, think also jurisdictional issues come into which crimes they can and can't enforce. I would go more on those lines. Right. But so because because I know there's some significant differences on what the criminal code can look like and then right. who can enforce it. Are you with Cody that there really can't be an FBI the way we have it? Because I know you have you know, questions on independence and autonomy and jurisdiction, but can there really be no FBI? It can really only be take care agents, not police agents. <laughs> oh, I'd want to call. Can we call them that? We need to start doing <laughs> take that. Take care agents. Sure. So, oh. so, what I, so what I'm you saying. You think the liberals would love that. But yeah, no kidding. Take care of me, agents. Cody no, wants a, a take care bureau. <laughs> Cody wants a federal take care bureau. <laughs> Do you think that that's the only valid way forward or no. we can actually have something more like the FBI? No, I mean, I think I agree with him that that's the clause in the Constitution that should operate under. I think that's a more precise reading than just to say a general broad police power. So I think he's sure. correct there. I mean, I just I'm fine with the FBI like and their existence. I, I think they are operating badly. I think they don't have enough restraint. I think they're not accountable enough. They're not transparent enough um, and they should be reined in. But I am fine with the FBI. So is there legal justification for existing? A yes or no? Because yeah. Cody's, Cody's a no, right? They're, they're operating off of some non-existent police power, he says, where he says it should be take care. You you agree that it should be take care. Yes, but I still think they can exist because I think if you're taking care of the laws the United States are enforced, you can do that by what most people would understand as a police power, if it's not technically called a police power. Right. But you're but, but, so so the real difference is because you think that the laws can be broader than what Cody's saying, the FBI can exist today just operating off of the take care mechanism. Sure, because I think there's real jurisdictional issues when we cross state lines, when we have an internet, when we have international law uh, that I think wasn't fully addressed in the exact wording of the Constitution, but is there in principle if we wanted to argue that out? So <laughs> I do. I, I well, I, I I think so because I before I get to my my next question, which I think is probably the the biggest question I have tonight, Cody, from a pure. Uh, practical standpoint of jurisdiction when when crimes do cross state lines how do you intend to deal with that if there is no federal police or take care agency well the the states can do, do that it's still a crime in their jurisdiction or they can agree to send the person back to the state where they committed the crime so you just operate off the fugitive clause yeah but what about when they don't? What about when states legitimately one of them refuses and the other one doesn't think they should be stuck with the bill? I mean, there's a lot of like logistical problems, I think. Like, okay, in a practical real world, um, there and I agree with a lot of what you say, like idealistically speaking, not to call you an idealist, but hey, I'm gonna call you one. Um <laughs> I've always thought that I was an idealist, but uh when talking to you guys, not so much. You thought you were an idealist and then you met an anarchist. <laughs> 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 well, there you go. Um, but no, like, I think there's legitimate problems sometimes and internet crimes. I mean, I think are honestly the biggest example. If there's not a clear responsibility of one state or the other, so they could both just decline to do it or not agree or not want to share costs. 
And if we want the crime to be stopped, I think someone has to be responsible for it. Right. The guy's living in Indiana, but uses servers based in Michigan. Yeah. Or buys people in Maryland. Like who's going to, who's actually responsible for stopping him? Well, I mean, it's up to the, wherever there is jurisdiction. So if a state has a long arm clause that allows them to have some level of jurisdiction over somebody that's in a different state, they can exert that. And then it's up to the state of residence if they decide that they want one of their individuals to be brought to another state and tried. I mean, it's not the role, it's not the role of somebody in California to pay for Mississippi to prosecute somebody that lives in Indiana. I mean, that's not how our system functions. And so, yeah, is it going to make things more difficult? Sure. But the Constitution wasn't set up as a document of convenience or ease. It was set up as a document to restrain the federal government. And so this idea that we just want to make it easier to enforce criminal law, it's fair. I get it. I understand. And it is going to make it harder in some instances. But that's the whole point of the system. It isn't to imbue this with ease. If we wanted a system imbued with ease, we would have something much more akin to a significant level of central and federal control. Mm -hmm. And so those states should work with one another and to ensure. And look, this is a mutually assured destruction problem too, right? It's not necessarily idealistic. If Indiana refuses to, to subject this guy to Michigan's jurisdiction, guess what happens when the guy arises in Michigan that's screwing with Indiana's citizens? Right. There's some level of clear play here. And are there some crimes that may potentially be able to be justified under the Commerce Clause? Yes. Only if it results into this issue of like the true Commerce Clause, which was like preventing fair play amongst the states. And so some of that might come into play in a very, very limited construction. But I, I, I mean, there's a just because we can't think of how to, you know, sit here and discuss how to, we can create a pencil doesn't mean that a pencil can't be created. (laughs) No, I mean, and I I see what you're saying. I just think you open the door for states literally becoming safe havens for crime, whether because they think they can't afford to prosecute all these people that other states throw on them, or because they actually don't care and they are fine with those kind of crimes. And we certainly see different states becoming safe havens for different things. And we're, we're welcome, you know, we are happy with the competition that creates, but I'm not sure we want to create competition over crime. I mean, I think also in part, I, you're right that the constitution was created to limit the federal government, but it was also created to give some power to a federal government and to not, let states decide everything. And I know we've been talking about exactly what the constitution says and all of that, which is highly important in this conversation. But I think if you only look at the constitution as a document designed to take power away from the federal government, that's not a full picture either. Cause it did. Otherwise we would have stuck with the articles of confederation and, yeah. you know, so I mean, it gives some power. There is a centralized government. There is a federal government that has some obligation to the citizens of the nation, which in my view would include not allowing states to become safe havens for crime because they don't want to take it on. Well, but don't forget states aren't allowed to not deport people to other states. That's prohibited in the constitution as well. But without a, an enforcement. Well, that right. sounds like a crime. That sounds like a crime against the United States because you're violating the U S constitution. Article four, section two. So Article four, section two provides that states are required 
to send citizens to another jurisdiction if that person committed a crime in that jurisdiction. Is that whether a, it, but if I refuse to send a fugitive to another state, is that a crime against the United States or is that a crime against the state I'm refusing to send it to? You just violated the United States Constitution. That feels icky. Well, yeah, and, and what if the other state, and here's part of my issue, what if neither state wants to take responsibility for them? What if the state is saying, we're not going to send them to you, and their state's like, fine, we don't care that much about prosecuting them. Like, that's what I mean about creating safe well, havens for crime. Yeah. When if states decide, like, literally, uh, the mob or the mafia or cartel could basically buy the government of a state, and- They bought the federal government. That doesn't change anything. Well, but- <laughs> Uh, well, uh, that's funny. But what I'm just saying, like, if they knew they could do that and create safe havens for crime, they'd get agreements between states that would do that and operate very freely and very easily. So I think some level of federal jurisdiction over these things that cross lines are on the internet. And of course, I am mainly talking about human trafficking, because I think it's a huge issue that is very, the FBI has been very effective at. I have a lot of problems with things the FBI do that is against their jurisdiction and outside their jurisdiction, but human trafficking, in my view, we need the FBI to solve human trafficking, to break up the rings, to do things that states don't have the power or the resources to do in many cases. Well, so first, if the states would agree to not send people to not prosecute law, that would be a violation of the interstate compact clause. So they can't enter into an agreement between the states in order for the provision or the survey or that uh, compact or that agreement without the approval of Congress. And so if they said, hey, look, Florida, look, Georgia and Florida say, look, look, man, we're just going to like let guys run across state lines and avoid enforcement, that would violate the interstate compact clause. And so those states would then be subject to federal jurisdiction. And like, yeah, I mean, will there be instances where things aren't enforced efficiently, but they're not enforced efficiently by the federal government either. And so all yes, the mob can buy off a state government, but they bought off the feds too. It's that's just corruption, which is also a constitutional violation. And so we're trying to create a system or we're, we're, we're layering all of these things on to try to like grab criminals or make it easier, make it simpler. And all we're really doing is obfuscating the system we have. If we look at the constitution, this is all in there. This is all clear. And you can have this system of interplay, including dealing with human trafficking, using that system. I mean, the Bureau of Investigations was literally created to address human trafficking, right? It was their first charge was the Mann Act, Mm -hmm. which was going and raiding brothels. But right states could do that too and and the federal government isn't special and powerful in doing that they just get a bunch of money and so they can waste it more efficiently than everybody else i i just that i just disagree with you on because like brothels yes used to be run in states and certainly some immigration involved and international and all of that but like i think modern human trafficking that is largely done over the internet I, I, I don't think most states are set up with an operation, nor could they be, nor do they have the resources to break that up. Some states, yes, but just flat out, not all. So they aren't because they've had no reason to, because this has been a federal jurisdictional problem since the 1910s. I mean, the Mann Act was passed in 1910. And so you have this issue of addressing this on the federal level so early on that states, why would a state 
put all of this effort into it when the feds are going to suck up all the money to the projects. It's, it's the public library question. It, yeah. why, why is there no such thing as a private library? Because the government already competes in that anyway. Except for now we actually have private libraries. Do we really? Do we? I mean, yeah, you can subscribe to like Kindle online and get a number of books for free for a small fee every month. You do not like real paper books. Well, you, that is I mean, so I, sad. And, 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 I love paper books, but we have the existence. <laughs> we the market has created a private library, the thing that was never achievable. Fair, fair enough. But so, Christy, so let me just let me just see if I can bridge this here. They don't have the resources. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the dedication. What if we took all the money that goes into federal law enforcement and put that money into the form of grants that would be dispersed to the states to create a interstate uh, federal enforcement mechanism? So are you saying like there would be an agency that would do that? Or are you saying every state would do it on their own? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to appease you both. I'm trying. I'm trying to create a system in which I have both Cody and Christy with me. Uh, Doctrines Co- of appeasement always go poorly. I know. I, <laughs> I'm trying not to be a Chamberlain, but I may just. I may just die here. Um, no, Cody. Cody doesn't want this federal agency because it's not constitutional in his eyes. You are primarily concerned, if, if I stand corrected, that without something like the FBI, we don't have the resources, the manpower, the focus and dedication toward things like uh, online uh, human trafficking. And so what I'm asking is, what if you create a grant, like, you know, for interstate uh, highway funds, for construction, whatever, but you give that money that we would to, that $10 billion that goes to the FBI now, we give that to the states so that they can start putting it into enforcing laws against online human trafficking. So I love the attempt at negotiation. I think it's wonderful. Um, However, my issue with that would be, I think it would be a mess. I think if 50 different states are each trying to do their own plan to stop human trafficking when it touches their state, how do you actually have, I think you actually need one central organization that can find out how these rings are connected, how they operate, Instead of, I mean, we've seen this before when when different states have little pieces of this and little pieces of that, and then some of them just miss sharing information, and then a, a trafficking ring that would otherwise be broken up if all the information was collected centrally, it's not broken up. So, like, I don't think they would be effective in, cra- I think, in whatever's existing solely in their state, yeah, they'd be effective, but anything that crosses lines, I just don't think it would happen. So the one, so the one counter to that, because I'm not, I'm not totally convinced one counter to that is i still can get a warrant out for me in missouri with my colorado driver's license colorado plate that's because the state governments share that data with each other or am i mistaken on that you guys are the lawyers but i'm pretty sure the state police agencies uh share that kind of information across state lines so that when a, uh, a Missouri or Nebraskan police officer pulls me over, they can run my plate and my license number against their database, which is shared with all the other states. Right. No, you're right that sometimes information is shared, but I think in order to have each state operating its own human trafficking unit, 
you not only have to have the information shared, you have to have the right people in place who are checking that information, who are going and arresting that person, who are being there at the right time to break it up. I mean, there's so many pieces that 50 states all have to be operating competently on that basis. So many pieces to the puzzle. I think if everything is centralized in one agency, when we're talking about crime rings that exist in multiple states all at once, I just am always going to think, I believe, that a centralized agency, and in, in very rare instances, am I ever for big centralized agencies, but I think interstate crime that's largely conducted over the internet um, is just one example where it's kind of necessary. Okay. I, I, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm fairly certain Cody has something to say to that. I have nothing to say <laughs> to that because I... I, I I don't know. Legal or not legal. I don't like the FBI period, but that's just me. Cody, back to you. I just, here's the thing is like, it's not like the federal government is efficient at this. Like, it's not like they're doing this. Well, this has been a problem. The first issue of, well, so the man act to be fair was also a morality law in a sense, right? They were, they were going more after like prostitution than they were slavery because they called it, it was the White Slavery Act was what the real title of it was. And then it was called the Mann Act. But the, so they were going much more after like prostitution than they were after like human trafficking in the guise of people that were involuntarily, uh, predominantly women that were involuntarily um, trafficked. So it's, but it's not like the Fed is good at this. Like it's not like they're magically solving the problems. And a lot of these cases are prosecuted by state attorneys general to the point where I think the last FBI data I saw from 2019 was that 47 different state attorneys general had prosecuted at least one human trafficking case in that year. And so these are being addressed by the states. Isn't the FBI giving them the data though, and the information and helping catch those rings, but then the state prosecutes it. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes the data is shared using FBI data sharing. Sometimes they're investigated wholly, and I don't know that the data split on that. So it's sure, it could be forty six to one for FBI, FBI data. Um, but Stanton, actually, I, you're you're kind of reversing it a little bit because you're saying, oh, should they give a grant to the states to allow them to do this? No, they should stop taking money from the states to do this. And then let the states invest it in their jurisdiction the best way that they know how. And so if you want to address, I mean, Texas, all right, just got back from Texas where I spent a couple extra days. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Southwest. Hey, man, I'm with the pilots. I got it. I can work remotely. I'll take my extra day off if it means that they're standing up to <laughs> the authoritarian airline industry. I'm cool with it. But Texas, right? If a ton of money wasn't sent out of Texas to the federal government, Texas could easily decide to reinvest that money to keep that money in its borders to address human trafficking. And now what you could also have, you could have a number of different states that enter into an agreement, which they get approved by Congress to share data surrounding these things. And they could fund through their own view maintenance, a program that would allow them for, to, to potentially share data as long as Congress signs off on that. So, and think instead of getting this wasteful bureaucracy that's involved, I mean, for every person that's combating human trafficking in the FBI, there are probably five people 
that are doing nothing. And there's a million dollars that's going to some office budget that's really paying for like fancy speakers and a standing desk of some bureaucrat that'll never accomplish anything in their life. Like it's so wasteful and sending the money to the feds and having them come back into your state where they don't know what's going on. And it just doesn't, it just all of these layers. And so the fact that we can't see the perfect solution to what this would be without the FBI being involved, in my view, doesn't mean that there isn't a much better, more efficient solution that isn't violative of the Constitution. So, okay, I think I'm generally with you, but I'm going to take a devil's advocate. You know, this idea of the states funding their own things. Uh, states aren't really good at that. I'll point to Louisiana's education system. States shouldn't be funding education systems. Next. Okay. Well, should they be funding police <laughs> action? So we get back to we get back to a real uh, a real question, you know, of I, I mean, if if I think Cody, if I broke you down far enough, I'd find a core that says no government, period. I mean eh, okay, so this is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm no. not disagreeing with you. But I'm also saying yeah. to Chrissy's point, if we are going to have government and we do want to combat human trafficking, relying on the states to finance their own operations has notoriously and historically been unreliable. So for two reasons. One, because an insane amount of revenue leaves the state every year to go off to fund this insanely and ever-growing central bureaucracy. So, so they have less access. Sure. Two, why would they when the feds are going to come in with billion dollar budgets and do it for them. Louisiana has no incentive to address that issue. And so like, let's look at police power. Sure. The states under our constitutional form of government and under states constitutions, they absolutely have a state police power. That's why we have local government. If, if the people of Louisiana feel as though Louisiana is not appropriately enforcing criminal law or their police power in the state, vote them out. I mean, that's why we have a representative government. That's why we have local control. That's the whole purpose. It's not to send and, and ship money off to DC to create these vast federal programs that are useless. It's to centralize power in these people's communities, in our communities. And so Louisiana would probably do a hell of a job better on some of the issues where it has struggled if it didn't have the federal government constantly walking in and going, yeah, but we'll just give you a, we'll do a billion dollar grant for the FBI. All right. I don't think I can go any farther on this without going in circles. So I'm going to ask my next question, which I ha I thought I knew the answer to this from YouTube, but I'm not sure anymore. Is the FBI on the whole so I'm not looking for specifics. I'm looking for on the whole is the FBI on the whole a force for good for liberty. Ah, uh, wow. Right now or historically? <laughs> I, I want to say on the whole, if you like, I'll happily entertain the in the present moment versus the past. I don't know. Let's, let's go for 75 years. That would include most of uh, uh, Hoover, but not all the way to the beginning. Okay. Um, I'd still say on the whole, a force for good, but some major, major flaws, both historically and now, including the most recent 
um, order from the attorney general, which I won't get into because you said no specifics. However, we will we will point. get into specifics, but I just I just kind of like want this overall impression. Like, is the FBI good for a free people of liberty? I think they're good, but they, I mean, do they restrict what people get to do? Yes. I mean, it depends on your definition of liberty. Right, right, right. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I, that, that, was, that was not a fair phrase. What I mean is when, we're, when I talk about liberty, I'm talking about the founding ideals of this country, that we should have a, a, a country based on life, liberty, property. And whenever you have any government, you're going to have restrictions. I think that's, that's really why anarchists don't like government, period. I get right. what I, well, what I'm saying is, is the FBI as a government entity good for bringing about a country of life, liberty, property? Yes. Cody? No. Okay. That, I was not expecting this. I, I, I had suspicions that Cody was going to say no. Chrissy, I thought for sure you were going to say no on the whole. Because while I know that you definitely have some really strong passions like internet and, and human trafficking needs to be put, put to the way wayside, I was expecting that on the whole, you'd say, nope, they shouldn't be investigating this, they shouldn't be investigating that, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I am curious, what of the FBI um, do you like? You obviously like the, the ability <laughs> to, to counter uh, violent crime, I imagine, and organized crime, which to me includes sex trafficking and, and murder and mafias and so on. But, you know, they've got terrorism, counterterrorism, cybercrime, public corruption, civil rights. Uh, take your pick, right? Right. So I think, and why I struggle to answer that is because I think they do a whole lot of things today. And I'm, I know I'm honestly more familiar with them today than I am historically. I know you two are really up on the history of them. But just today in the last, oh goodness, five to 10 years, I think they've w stepped way out of bounds. So they have a lot of problems with certain things they have done, whether we're talking about absolute political investigations that should never be under their jurisdiction, but were ordered by political agents. You know, whether we're talking about the attorney general saying that people who protest at school boards should be investigated for domestic terrorism right. or under Obama, they were supposed to investigate pro-life activists as domestic terrorists. So, I mean, are they way, way, way out of bounds? And yes, does the agency need to be cleaned up? Should it be made more accountable, more transparent? Should Congress more closely define their job? Yes. But I think that's not because the agency at its core is not a force for good. I think it's because they've been allowed to run free and wild without the proper restraints. So, so, so when Director Ray said that, you know, the mishandling of the Nasser case was improper and does not reflect the FBI uh, and their procedures. Are you saying that today's FBI in its procedures, in its character is misaligned or is this just the result of a few bad eggs that have been in office for too long? I think it's a great question. I think, of course, they're going to say that when they're being investigated. And actually, someone I went to law school with, um, Rachel Denhollander, was one of the main people who actually brought that whole scandal to light. So, uh, you know, I think the FBI was completely wrong in their handling of that. And when you see mishandling over mishandling over mishandling for them to stand there and say, 
this doesn't represent our procedures. Well, then why do you keep screwing up? Like, um, right. clearly, it, I'm sorry, it does represent your procedures. And so I think there's a lot of flaws and problems in the agency right now, whether it's because of who directs it or because there's not being honest about what their procedures really are. I couldn't tell you which of those is the answer. I think they need a major cleanup, a major overhaul, but I still believe the function they were truly supposed to carry out is good. So go ahead. Well, so, well, so here's the problem. That fumbling after fumbling after fumbling isn't a modern problem. The FBI has violated its purpose since before it was the FBI. So Hoover was the director in 1924 when it was still the Bureau of Investigations. It doesn't become the FBI until 1933. The literal more that we learn about Hoover, the more we uncover about how much bad crap the FBI did under his watch. Oh, Stanton, can I say the C word while you, you get student? I think it's fine. They hear crap all the time, I'm sure. Crap, oh, crap, crap's fine. I thought you were talking about the other C word. Oh, no. Oh, no I'm crap. like, no, no, absolutely not. You cannot. <laughs> no. So, so back, oh no. Uh, so the FBI has been doing this literally since while it, when it was the Bureau of Investigation. I mean, there is evidence repeatedly dating back to Martin Luther King of them inserting federal agents into activist groups to monitor them and then inevitably like started creating and fomenting issues. There's evidence and actual stories of the FBI helping plan terrorist plots to try and like get people to take the steps and furtherance thereof and then prosecute them. There's a letter that was uncovered that from the FBI and Stan, I think you brought this up last time from the FBI to Martin Luther King Jr. to like, oh, so Jagger Hoover wrote an anonymous letter basically saying that you should kill yourself because you're, a, you're, you're a communist. That was basically the, the bottom line. And they, well, they also wiretapped presidents like, I mean, it, like I said, under Hoover, the FBI was extremely aggressive in pursuing criminals to the point that it was violating basic civil liberties and privacy. Also, so we have this really gross point in our history where we interred Japanese Americans during World War II. Do you, do you know who made the lists to, to hold, write hold those on, people up and put them into camps? Hold on a sec. Hoover actually opposed that. I don't care if Hoover opposed it. The FBI did it. Fair enough. You, you can direct. Fair, no, fair, fair, enough, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. He, they helped create a list to round up Americans and put them into camps. Like that was a real thing that happened that we don't talk about. And so Cody, this was the 1950s is 1940s and 70s. We were, so like, we're talking about today. Like what? Are you oh, saying? you're right. Because they didn't just mishandle a giant sexual assault scandal. Like it's here's my problem. And this is what we see over and over. Right. You see abuse after abuse after abuse after abuse. And so I I get that there are things that the FBI is accomplishing. Sure. But on the backs of what? I mean, threatening Martin Luther King Jr. to try and get him to kill himself, rounding up people in the United States and Americans and putting them into camps. I mean, this this there's a line here. And that's why we didn't want this centralized power, this giant behemoth of a government police. I mean, that was antithetical to, to the framers idea of what we would have. And so, you know, you just can't, you can't solve the problems by looking at the good or reining it in. I mean, we've tried to do that. And in my view, it's just clearly not working. 
The only thing, and I actually uh, love how passionately you explained that. I think if I didn't already have my opinions, you would convince me. Uh, but <laughs> I, um, I think, and I'm, I'm sure there's actual people who have, but who has made it their goal to get into office as a president and actually reform the FBI? I think we've had a lot of presidents come in and appoint their own director but it's then become another political appointment that's gone down the path of politics instead of actual justice. I think we've seen people like, let's even take President Trump, who literally didn't know how the system worked in relation to the FBI, so he got messed over by them. Uh, Let's take Biden, who is absolutely using them for his political purposes through his attorney general. So I think we see a lot of instances of the FBI allowed to run rogue because politicians use them for their means or don't understand them at all and how they can rein them in, which is why I say they could be reined in, they could be made more appropriate, they could be useful for the cause of justice, but you'd have to have someone elected whose purpose it was to go reform the FBI and to use the appropriate power to do so. And I don't know that we've ever had that. It'd be interesting to see the FBI divided into multiple different bureaus again. Instead of, yeah. a cent- instead, instead of a central bureau, you have, I mean, Cody, granted, I think you and I both want got- I, th- I think you know by both wanted a limited, but take this $10 billion <laughs> agency and make it into five $2 billion agencies. Or just just not. I mean, I, I Christy, I understand. <laughs> 50, I, <laughs> 50, 100 million. Oh, I don't know how to do math. Is that right? 50, 100, 50 10 million. I, I got no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea how to get to that number. I realized as soon as it started coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, no, you're going to do this all wrong. <laughs> I, 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 I get the inclination to, and I understand the idea of, you know, it's time to rein them in. It's time to get an executive that'll rein them in. Or, I mean, really problematically, you need a lot of. Co- congressmen and senators that'll rein them in, right? I mean, we're talking about not just one, we're talking about hundreds of people that need to be elected for this. The problem is they're violating their constitutional authority and nobody cares. And so no one, you can't just have somebody magically step up and go, you know what, I'm finally going to hold these agencies to their constitutional limits. Well, all we've seen is that this this system has created this level of collusion where Congress can defer its authority. I mean, you know what would be really interesting is if you got a true like non-delegation amendment added to the Constitution of, you know, what Congress affirmatively I mean, and firmly cannot delegate their authority to the agencies. And you then th- you theoretically shouldn't need it with the vesting clause. But, yeah, we talked we talked about this in the bureaucracy episode like Congress. Should, anyway, I, I agree. I there's a lot there's a lot that's wrong with the fbi and you know christy i think i think the framework i have legally i'm with you i think congress does have the power to have this i but i i'm you are you are our our eternal optimist and thank god we have you (laughs) that's true but i don't have confidence anymore in the fbi being able to do the job that it says it's supposed to do and and i guess my problem is you know, you, you look at the, 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 the Mueller, 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 what's his name? How do you pronounce it? The former FBI director that handled the Trump investigation. Mueller, but I don't know. Anyway, how he, how that, that whole handle of the case of like 
pursuing a, a, a crime that may or may not have existed, but it, it, the, the, I don't know. I feel like it, it's so rancorous. It's so embedded with politics, as you said, that reform isn't possible anymore. That you might that if you're going to have an agency like this, you scrap it and start over. You start with a million dollars only, and then you build up. Hopefully, not not as much anymore. But I, I don't know. I am I am I too pessimistic there? I just want to. No, I mean, I think I understand why people have that viewpoint. There's been failure after failure, and they're not just small; they're huge. They're on issues that affect a lot of people, and are. Comp- I mean, the FBI has been used to do the absolute opposite of what they were created to do. And I'm currently quite upset over what the attorney general is using them to do. I've talked to um, one specific sheriff in Colorado over the last week who has been visited by FBI agents, asking him to tell them who in his county buys the most firearms, who in his county... Yes, protests at school board meetings. Like that is what it's so what what we all heard about in national news, like the attorney general Garland already coming down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, they've been doing this because that actually happened weeks before that was released in the national media. And they're telling him, oh, yeah, we're going to all 64 sheriffs in Colorado and doing this. So that's hugely just wrong and not the proper use of the FBI to investigate parents who are trying to talk at their school board meetings and object to curriculum their children are being subjected to. So if people think it can't be reformed, if they think it's a failed organization, like I understand that. I just, yes, I'm an eternal optimist and think that things can be fixed if you have the right person in place to fix them. And we all too often elect politicians who do not understand the system, who do not have the right priorities and flat out can't get it done. And I think that's a huge reason why we're in the mess that we're in. So my problem with like somebody coming in and fixing it is that they're not going to stay. They can't stay. So even if you got a president, a two-term president that was, you know, constructed around reform, we've seen that it's so easy for the FBI to completely expand outside of their constitutional limits. If they're, if they're even within anything, right? Like I said, I think you could probably have a enforcement body for crimes against the United States. And those are going to be very limited to what's in the constitution, but let's say you get somebody in that does come in and does reform for eight years, right? So one of the things that Trump did very well was regulatory reform, repealed a lot of the federal register, superseded it, refused to allow them just to promulgate rules left, right, and center. Right. Well, as the day Biden walked into office, he rescinded every memo that any agency passed. He rescinded all internal guidance that all of the agencies had passed under Trump. And then he began doing rulemakings to redo all of the rules that the Trump administration had put into place. And so you're, you're just getting when, when the executive has all of this control, you just get the battling back and forth. And so without some level of real reform, it's not going to matter. And it, and that level of real reform really has to be, you You have to cut the sales off this thing. I mean, the amount of power that they've had, the, the abuses that they've been able to subject the American people to are so far and above, in my view, offensive than anything else that they have done that we can't possibly, I mean, 
we can't possibly excuse murder because somebody managed to find a piece of stolen property. Like, it's just not the way our system is constructed. And, and that's essentially what the FBI is doing. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right that I think you would have to go beyond just one executive because yes, to your point, term limits, and then the next president who usually is from the opposite political party who comes in and does the absolute opposite. I think you'd have to have a president who's part of their reform strategy was to get Congress on board to create longer term restraints and really reform the entire agency, because otherwise you're right. It's only useful for eight years or less, really. And then we're back to, you know, square one again. So, yeah, you're right. And that's I mean, that's the problem, right, is it's so far out. I don't even know how you would limit it in. I mean, they're so far outside of what they could do. I mean, there are federal crimes for everything. There's federal crimes for violating the food code. And I probably used this example on here before. And the food code like requires there to be a certain amount of cherries in a fruit salad mix. I mean, everything is a federal crime and everything is thus criminalized and enforced by the FBI. And so I don't even know how you could get to the point of limiting them in and drawing them in without just finding a way to undermine their constitutional authority writ large. And then if you want to start again, maybe, but that's the only thing I could see is the way to really solve this kind of issue. So it's a force for good for Christy on the whole, but not for Cody. And all of us are agreeing that's either got to go or it's got to change significantly. Um, let me ask one more question, because if we all are in agreement that there's something rotten with the FBI, what is it that makes the FBI today really, really not good? Now, Cody, I want to challenge you to go beyond it's illegal. I want, to, I want you to go beyond that. What is it about the FBI in its execution today that makes it rotten and you know, that that's that's kind of where I want to go with with this kind of final question. It's illegal. You don't police my thoughts, Dan. I'll do what I want. <laughs> Bloody hell, Cody. Uh, <laughs> uh, here's the biggest problem to me is that they have almost unfettered authority, kind of what I was just talking about. They have almost unfettered authority to find a federal violation on almost every American citizen which gives them the excuse to put the thumb of the federal government on just about everybody in this country, because one way or another, you have probably violated a federal regulation or a federal law that can then be enforced by the federal government. And having this sort of like United States Gestapo to enforce this broad, disgusting federal code that regulates every single aspect of your life is so antithetical to the constitution that our founders and framers gave, well, that their framers gave us and that our founders and their entire generation fought for that. It's just gross and it's, it's dehumanizing and it violates our principles. And it certainly does not allow anybody to enjoy their life, their Liberty or to pursue happiness. Um, I guess what I what I hear is that your biggest problem with the FBI is that your problem with Congress is that they've just allowed for far too much to happen. And the FBI is just a natural enforcement consequence of what Congress has allowed. 
<laughs> yeah, essentially. I mean, Congress has create can you know committed so many sins and and criminalizing all this behavior, and then they've given the FBI free reign to not only further define what that mm-hmm. behavior is in some instances, but then also to go and and enforce the law. But the FBI also acts in its own interest and acts yeah. extra extra congressionally and extrajudicially all the time. I mean, especially when the FBI director can't be fired except for cause and has a 10 year life. Yeah. So at, at best, when they're doing their job, it's probably a violation of your individual rights. And you can be damn sure that they're not just doing their job the whole time. I mean, they're spying on American citizens. They're maintaining lists. They're apparently contacting your local sheriff to figure out who in the community buys the most guns. I mean, and those are, that's, that's, I mean, that part arguably now is part of their mandated job, according to their boss, which is the attorney general and the head of the department of justice. So even when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's a violation of your rights. Supposed to be, I use air quotes. By the way, you lost the political game. Oh, oh, I said Gestapo. Yep. You I'm lost. sorry. <laughs> I was wondering, you know, the longer we go, the more likely someone's going to lose. I mean, I, I can't. I mean, I know it, 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 it was a great it was a great description. It's just it's it's so, it's so pervasive that eh, you lose. Chrissy, what is for you the defining rottenness of the modern FBI? Mm, I mean, I think there's more than one thing, but to stick it just to one. I think it's the fact that they're so easily used by political administrations to investigate Americans as domestic terrorists just because they have a viewpoint that the current party in power doesn't hold to. And and really, I have personally, and again, I'm not super familiar with the old history, but in modern history, I've only really seen the Democrats do this, but it happened under Obama to pro-life activists. It's happening to um, parents who testified at school boards under Biden. And it's specifically, they're not just being investigated and looked into, which would be wrong in and of itself, but they're being investigated as terrorists. And I think that is extremely problematic because it's clearly just being used for political ends. It, that's a huge problem. Right. What, what, was it Ron Paul that said what you allow the, the government to define of foreign people, you will eventually allow the government to define of domestic citizens? Wasn't it something like that? That when we gave the federal government so much broad power to define who a terrorist was, that it eventually will come back to bite us in the ass here at home. I am sure both of you would be more familiar with Ron Paul quotes than me. Hey, he's <laughs> a Republican. Ron Paul's a Republican. <laughs> Just put it out there. He's a libertarian who calls himself a Republican. <laughs> Listen, he has yar. I don't know about you. That's a Republican. Anyway, I'm 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 teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you both put it well. You know, the FBI. But, go well, ahead. Hold on, just before we don't demonize any parties on the both side, don't forget the FBI was given a lot of power under the Patriot Act under Bush. So, okay, hold on a sec. Yes, you're right. That was a practically unanimous bill. Yes, and involved international terrorism as opposed to a political party's view. Of what? Um, hold on, Chrissy. I'm not going to let you defend the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act sucks. But I'm not I, defending it. I'm saying it's not the same as saying that pro-lifers might be domestic terrorists or parents at school boards might be domestic terrorists. Like that was it was dealing with actual terrorism. I think we have to admit that. 
Well, oh, wait, hold on. The Patriot Act is its own. It's its own thing. Hold on. Hold it on, is its on, own animal. On. Absolutely. What I'm saying is, Cody, yes, Republican president, not dismissing that. Patriot Act was also practically unanimous across all boards. So then right. it's bad on both. That makes it. I, all I'm saying is. So then all of the Republicans that you, voted for no, it no, are no, also bad? No, no, no. What, what, what Chrissy's point. What, all right. Let me back up. <laughs> to your point. Yes, I think Republicans have misused the FBI as well. However, I want to challenge you to find a better example because Christie's point was in recent times, the FBI has been used improperly by the Democrats, specifically as Democrats. The FBI used improperly under the Patriot Act is not a Republican thing. That's a Republican and Democrat thing. I'm asking you to find something specifically Republican only abuse. Does that make sense? Yeah, so sure. So also under Bush, he expanded the FBI's authority to engage in preliminary investigations, which allowed the FBI to go into any public space without having to announce themselves in order to investigate. So something like parent, like FBI showing up to school board meetings would have thoroughly been encouraged under the Bush. Not maybe not that exact instance. I don't think so. But <laughs> but a, they expanded was that... the FBI's ability to conduct preliminary investigations without any authority. Right. Well, but was that just him for one thing, or did other politicians sign on to it? Whereas like what Biden and Obama did was literally like them and their administration. But it was also, just AG guideline. Also, and I'm I'm not even necessarily talking about expanding the power of the FBI. I, I think that's a different like conversation. I'm saying using the FBI to target political viewpoints you disagree with is a particular hallmark of what the Democrats have done in recent history. Oh, I mean, like maybe the FBI investigating mosques in the United States after 2001. It's still not a political viewpoint. And I think that is related to a terrorism attack that had happened on the United States. Whereas, I mean, you just can't relate that to parents testifying at school boards. You can't relate that to the pro-life issue, which is literally a political issue not related to attacks on the United States at all, not defending it, just saying it's different. I mean, the free expression of religion is certainly a political issue. It was still related to terrorism and on the basis of actual oh, terrorism. I, wait, so, no, I think that's very so, different. And is going to jump in here. So, so <laughs> the point being on Cody, abuse, a plague upon both your houses. <laughs> to Christy, the past five, 10 years has been a predominantly Democrat abuse regime. Yes. I, yes. Cody, can we, can we, can, is that a universal consensus? Well, in the past 10 years, there's only been one Republican president. That's still 40, that's still 40% of the time. That's right. true. I, I'm not familiar at very much at all with how Trump interacted with the FBI other than continually fighting back. Was investigated with them. by, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, would that have heard was about a, it if he had well, used it in the same way Biden and Obama. I don't think did. he could, even if he wanted to, I don't think he could have, right? I mean, it was pretty clear that the FBI was not going to be pursuing any agenda that, that Trump had. But Trump also didn't have the opportunity to appoint an FBI director, right? No, I don't think he did. I don't think because that that spanned his term. So he did even if he he wouldn't didn't have any ability to do that. So in the last 10 years, I, I just think that's a an unfair kind of limitation. And so I think Biden that we is can, using his attorney general to do it. Like Trump could have done that and didn't. Well, kind of. I mean, 
that Biden is using the AG to direct the FBI and right. the FBI will answer to the AG right now. But under Trump, the, the FBI didn't really answer to the AG all that often. Right. But he could. I guess my point is he could have made them the same as Biden is doing and he chose not to. I, I suppose. I mean, given that FBI was actively investigating him, I, I think that's just not a great example. We'll so, agree to disagree. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't want to put anyone in a position that they don't want to be in right now. But I'll also but, admit, like, I don't I don't have anything of specific instances where Trump, you know, employed the FBI. I think that's, like I said, because they were clearly adverse parties for four years. I think if Trump gets elected to a second term and you get an FBI director that's appointed by him and you have an AG that's with him, that might be a very different story. But we we don't know that. And so if you but if you look prior to that, Republican administrations were not shy about expanding the FBI's authority or abusing the FBI's authority to engage in investigations and to allow for the FBI agents to supersede their power on, I mean, yeah, political no, issues. Growing, growing power of the FBI has absolutely happened under Republicans and Democrats. I'm not disputing that at all. But I'm I'm saying using it for a hyper partisan objective and targeting specific Americans, not because an actual act of terrorism has happened. You could debate what's related and what's not um, and whether or not you should expand the power or not. But I'm saying literal issues that the party in power doesn't like and they want to use the FBI to target Americans who have those viewpoints is what the Democrats have employed in recent history. Only and I would. I would argue that sending FBI agents into mosques is doing that. I mean, 9-11 was not perpetuated by American citizens that used their power to go and walk over to New York and commit that act. I mean, those were foreign nationals almost exclusively. And well, I don't think they knew that at the time, though. So, I mean, I just think that's a deeper issue. Like what happened at 9-11 and after 9-11, we can look like retrospectively and say some things were an abuse of power. Something shouldn't have happened the way they did. But at the time there was so much the U.S. was investigating and finding out, but I think that's its own conversation and was not hyper-partisan when it was carried out either. I, I suppose. I, I don't think that we're going to come to an agreement on this one. I don't think that <laughs> no, there's probably a, not. I mean, the FBI had a long train of abuse. I mean, their first director for 50 years was violating and was being used by presidents to violate people's rights. And there's a lot of different parties involved from... 1920 what's he stand 25 1924 1924 through 71 or whenever he 48 years I don't remember what the actual years were those 48 years are colored by I mean different political parties oh sure well and I and I said specifically I'm talking about like recent modern political history because I'm I'm particularly concerned with that all right so whether or not we we can we can pin the blame squarely on Republicans or uh, squarely on Democrats or if it's both, we're all pretty much here saying that the FBI needs a real solid shakeup. It could be a force for good, could be a force for bad. It needs a really really bad shakeup. Um, elimination on one hand, reform on the other. Uh, I do want to. I do want to wrap this up and I do want to allow you to say whatever, what one last thing you have. So 
no contention, no, no, no rebuttals. What's your last full haul on the FBI? Your defense, your critique, you're somewhere in between. I want to hear it. Well, um, Stanton definitely knows what to say to attorneys to get them on on track. Good job. Good job. Uh, (laughs) No, I just think it's very clear that the American people are going to lose, continue to lose trust in the FBI if they are not reformed and they are not restrained and they don't investigate the things that actually matter to Americans like the gymnastics scandal. So, I mean, I think we need to find a way and politicians are the ones who should be held accountable for doing this or not doing it. Um, But reforming them into a body of justice that the American people can trust. If that doesn't happen, I think they may, their agency may be on its way out anyway, if they continue to deteriorate. Cody. I'm going to, I'm going to slightly alter a quote for the purposes of my sign off. Uh, But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evidences a design to reduce them under absolute despotism it is their right it is their duty to throw off such federal bureau of investigation and to provide new guards for their future security yay boo yay (laughs) (laughs) love it nicely done that was nicely done uh I, uh, I I had fun watching YouTube kind of go at this. I, I, there's not much I could have done. <laughs> there's not much I could have said that wasn't said between you two. So I'll, uh, I'll just kind of put, <clears throat> put it out there. Um, the FBI more or less failed to maintain a sense of uh, decency as a law enforcement agency, whether we're talking about Hoover or modern times. I think, Christy, you're absolutely right. There's a significant trust issue that you know in certain areas i think the fbi has done really well gaining the people's trust there are certain elements that says hey we caught these bad guys you're you're welcome and no the tv shows are out there that always uh, put the fbi on a nice little pedestal so i mean but on the whole i i don't if i if i was to hear the fbi director today said blah 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 i'm saying that's just a bureaucrat don't believe a word he says Maybe maybe an individual agent, sure, but that's 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 the perennial problem of I don't have any problems with the individual agents or the individual officers and individual soldiers. It's my problem with the people giving them orders, right? Um, so, and to Cody's point, you know, I, I grow more and more dissolve government completely stance. So. If there is going to be a government, I would like a take care agency, not a FBI. Uh, but that's assuming I want to take care agency at all. So I'll just leave it at that point. Um, I think that's it. Uh, do you guys have any shout outs? No. Yeah, I don't. I'm it's ladies and gentlemen, we've gone an hour and 45 minutes. We've done our longest episode yet. This has been our first deep dive. Uh, We are very happy that you joined us. Um, Our next episode is going to be in the news for October. Uh, We're not sure what the, what the month has in store for us. There's already been a wild couple of weeks, Uh, but whatever we talk about, it's going to be self-evident and may even be forgotten. I don't know. It might be. 
Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else that you listen to, as well as social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at SEF underscore pod. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time.